It's your will. You want to use that lapel? This one will be fine. Listen, you know what I'm going to do, don't you? I'm going to ask you all to stand and come and fill up these front rows up here. You know you have to do that. Now, Brother brother Charles, you know, he'll let you get away with that. But uh, you're going to have to come up here and join the rest of us, okay? Don't get mad at me because I don't get to do this very often, all right? Thank you all. Y'all are so cooperative. I'll tell you what, y'all are the most cooperative folks in the world. Get down at the drippings, standing at the spout where the glory is running around. Get down under the drippings. Amen. Uh, th this, this is more for me than it is for you, okay? More for me than it is for you. So I appreciate it so very much, doing it for me. Amen. Well, before we begin tonight, let's just pray. I, uh, my heart was grieved as I watched the news, as I'm sure you did. Somebody walking into a school to start killing folks. Doesn't matter if they're students, teachers, people outside, people inside. Just wanted to kill somebody. We live in dangerous times, folks. You and I don't live in the same world we lived in 20 years ago. Or even 10 years ago. But we do live in dangerous, dangerous times. And so my heart has been grieving. And in fact, I just happened to see something on Facebook. Somebody wrote about, about the shooting of the school. And I turned on the news and there it was. It's been on there ever since. But uh, listening to the doctors, listening to the students, listening to reporters it's just my heart goes out to those parents I mean parents send a kid to school believe he's going to come home safely that evening doesn't come home at all they said the bodies were still in the building they haven't even removed the bodies from the building because of the, it's a crime scene and so we just live in dangerous dangerous times so I, I, I'm kind of coming to the conclusion we best be ready to go anytime we best be ready to go at any moment. Not just the Lord calling us out, but we just we don't have any assurance of tomorrow. Today just may be our last day on this earth. And we best be pre prepared to meet God whenever that time is. So let's just pray. Father, so many needs tonight in so many places. Our church with building and dealing with the city, the Spanish mission where Brother Charles is going. Lord, I know some of those folks over there, and I know their heart is breaking, and either they just need some direction, some leadership, some guidance. So I pray that you'd give Brother Charles wisdom, direction to help them. I pray, Father, for parents who are grieving tonight, for friends who've lost friends. We pray, Lord, for our nation, Father, that we would turn from our ways and return back to you and seek you with our whole heart. We just pray, Father, that you would let us be that light on a hill. Let our light so shine before men that they may see the good work of God in us and you, Father, in heaven would be glorified. 
So we pray for these who are sick among us. We pray for those who have all kind of mental, emotional, spiritual needs. We pray, Father, that our church would be a place of rest. Not just a spiritual hospital, but Father, I pray that it would be a spiritual gym where people could get exercise and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. I pray, Father, that we would be the church you want us to be. So we give the building to you. We give the needs of our people to you. And Father, we declare tonight that you are our strength and our song and you have become our salvation. And we thank you for that, Father. In the wonderful, precious, glorious name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. So good to be back with you again. If you have your Bible, turn over to Matthew 14. Matthew 14. <coughs> this is a story that uh, we're all familiar with. This same passage of Peter walking on the water is found also over in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. But Peter is not mentioned in that passage. And I'm not really quite sure why other than the fact that Peter helped Mark write the Gospel of Mark. And maybe Mark just decided that he would just not humiliate Peter by including him in this story about his failure of walking on the water. But Matthew doesn't pull any punches. He just tells us the whole story just like it is. And so in chapter 14, we see four basic important events that take place in that 14th chapter of Matthew. The first major event that happens in, the first, in the, that 14th chapter of Matthew is that John the Baptist is beheaded by King Herod. Secondly, we see the feeding of the 5,000 men plus the women and children. Thirdly, we see the event of Peter and Jesus walking on the water and then thirdly, we see the event of people coming and just touching the hem of his garment and being healed, many miraculously healed, saved, and changed just by a simple touch of the garment of Christ. So let, let's focus on this story that we're all familiar with. Matthew, beginning in verse 22 of that 14th chapter, Immediately, I think, is, is one of Matthew's favorite words because he uses that word immediately three times in this passage as we're going to look at tonight. Verse 22, it says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now that word where he, he told them, he made them, it says... Actually, that's translated, he urged them with great urgency. He almost demanded that they get in the boat to go to the other side. Now, why would he do that? Why would he take them away from this great event of feeding 5,000 men plus women and children and make them, almost force them to get in the boat and go to the other side? Well, because their attitude was that they wanted Jesus to be king. 
In fact, that's what John tells us. They actually tried to make Jesus and take him and make him as king. They wanted him to sit upon the throne of David. They wanted him to be the great deliverer of Israel and overrule the Roman power. And so consequently, they looked at Jesus. They got his second coming mixed up with his first coming because they thought while he was here that he was here to set Israel free from Roman rule, to sit on the throne of David, to declare Israel the great nation that it once was. But he didn't come to do that. The first time he came to be the suffering lamb of God, the first time he came to take away the sins of the world, the first time it was like John the Baptist said, Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He who knew no sin was to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. And so he came the first time to be the suffering lamb of God. Now the second time when he comes, that'll be a different story. He will come as king of kings, lord of lords. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he didn't come the first time to do that. And so they were constantly getting his second coming mixed up with his first coming. So it said he, he urged them, he demanded that they get in the boat and go to the other side of the sea. He didn't go with them. He sent them away, and he went up into the mountain to pray. Now look at verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray because he knew his disciples wouldn't understand anyway, so he sent them to the other side. Now when evening had come, he was alone there. Now catch this, verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the water, on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. And immediately Jesus spoke, said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, Did Jesus know that there was a storm waiting for them if they went to the other side? He sent them into the sea. He, well, he had to. He knows everything. He knows. He knows everything. He, he knew that there would be a storm waiting. But now let me tell you something, folks. We look sometimes at storms with the wrong idea. There are three kinds of storms that God lets, allows come to our life. He can prevent the storm or he can allow the storm to come. So there are three kinds of storms that God allows to come to the Christian life. There is the storm of instruction, there is the storm of correction, and the storm of perfection. The storm of correction comes when we begin to drift away from God and he sends the storm to drive us back to God. The storm of instruction teaches us more about Christ, teaches us how to walk by faith, teaches us how to pray. The storms teach us things that otherwise we would not learn. 
But then the storm of perfection is that storm that drives us deep into the heart of God. That storm that allows us to walk with God where we've never walked with him before. That storm that causes us to know God in a way that we've never known him before. Now, this was not a storm of correction because they hadn't done anything wrong. They were being very obedient. But it was to be a storm of instruction. This proves to be a test, especially for Peter. And so, so he sends them to the other side. And notice it said, at the fourth watch. Now, you guys who naval guys, you know that from 6 in the evening to 9 in the evening, that's first watch. From 9 to midnight, second watch. Midnight to 3 in the morning, third watch. 3 in the morning to 6 in the morning, the fourth watch. This is between 3 and 6 o'clock the next morning, and they're only in the middle of the sea. I mean, they had been fighting that storm all night long because it was the afternoon when he sent them away and now they've only at, at between three and six in the morning they've only gotten halfway across the sea now the sea's only seven miles wide 13 miles long seven miles wide so in that period of time they had only gone about three miles now this was really a this was a bad storm and, it, and you may or may not remember this but seven of the twelve disciples were professional fishermen they knew this sea like they knew the back of their hand. They made a living on this sea. But they also knew that storms can come very unexpectedly. When that wind comes over those Golan Heights and it begins to come down on the, on the Sea of Galilee, which is really a lake, it literally drives you into the water. It doesn't just blow you. It drives you down into the water. And these guys thought they were going to die. Do you reckon that maybe they thought, why did he do this to us? Where is he? He sent us across the sea. He goes up in the mountains. Where is Jesus? Why has he allowed this to come into our life? And while they're fighting for their lives, they're probably asking a thousand why questions which Jesus never answers the why question. But he will answer the what question. What do you want me to learn, Lord? What are you trying to teach me in this? What are you trying to show me? But see, the why question usually is questioning God's management of our life. God, what have I done to deserve this? God, why are you doing this to me? God, this is not fair. And so, so, so they're probably asking all kind of questions while they're fighting literally for their life. So, between three in the morning, six in the morning, Jesus has been on the mountain praying all night long. Been praying all night long. And he knew where they were. And he knows the right time to come. And you know this as well as I do. Folks, he may be slow, but he's never late. And sometimes he comes two minutes until too late. He knows the right time to step into our storms. Whatever that storm may be. And so he comes walking. 
comes walking in water. I love this. It's almost like he's taking a Sunday afternoon stroll. Because see, the storm has no impact on Christ. He's the Lord of the storm. The storms can't touch Jesus. The storms can't hurt Jesus. Jesus doesn't get upset. Jesus doesn't get frustrated. Jesus doesn't get confused and afraid when the storms come because he's Lord of the storms. The storms are beneath him. He is above the circumstance. And so he comes casually walking across the water and the storm is raging and all of a sudden the disciples look up and they see him. And this is, this is amazing. They see him and they think it's a ghost. Now they've seen him do all kind of miracles. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him give sight to the blind. They've seen him make the lame to walk. They've seen him heal all kind of diseases, even leprosy. But they had never seen him walk on water. This was a new thing. And so when they saw him, they thought it was a ghost. And the amazing thing was they became now more afraid of him than they were the storm. Their fear just changed, it changed uh, uh, objects. They thought he was a ghost. And they cried out in fear, it says. They're afraid of the storm, and now they're afraid of the ghost that they see. Now, how did Jesus react to their fear? Well, I've told you this before. I sometimes have to correct preachers. You've heard preachers say there's 365 fear knots in the Bible. Well, I'm here to tell you there's 366. There's one even for every leap year. 366 fear knots in the Bible. Why do you reckon? Why, why do you reckon God tells us so many times not to be afraid? Well, the first reason is fear is the opposite of faith. You can't be afraid of something and trust God at the same time. But but see, fear robs us of our strength, our peace, our joy, our hope our faith. And so for every day of the week, of the month, of the year, even including leap year, he says, do not be afraid. Because he knows how fearful we can become. We know how easily and how quickly we can become afraid. He knows that. And so he, uh, I remember when my, my kids were small and I would say something to my son or all of my children, all four of my children, and I would say it one time and again and again, and my, finally my son would say, Dad, you told us we heard it the first time. I said, but did you really hear it the first time? Did you really hear what I said? You have to keep telling them over and over and over until they really, really hear. And I don't know if we ever really hear God. I mean, we may be walking with all the strength and the power and the victory and all of a sudden a storm comes up and we shake in our boots. It's like God never said, be not afraid the first time. And so they're afraid of the ghost. And Jesus says three things to them. Listen to what he said. He said, number one, be of good cheer or of courage, actually, that's translated. 
be of good courage. And he tells us to be of, in first, you remember Joshua 1? Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. Be courageous. I will be with you just like I was with Moses. He tells us many times to be courageous. And being courageous is really an important part of being a Christian. Because, see, we have a lot of enemies out there that want to kill and steal and destroy us. We have principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and wickedness in high spiritual places. And, I mean, they're coming against us all the time. So not only do we need not fear, we need to be courageous. So number one, he says, be of good courage. Now, I love the second thing he said. He said, it's me. It's I. You know how that's really translated? I am. I am what? I am. Do you know that's one of the reasons why the scribes and Pharisees hated Jesus so much and continued to accuse him of committing blasphemy because he kept using the same term that God used when Moses was spoken to by God at the burning bush when Moses said, God, who is it that I'm supposed to say is sending me? And God said, just tell him I am sending you. And Jesus kept referring to himself as I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I am. I am the bread of life. John gives us seven of those I ams. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He's always referring to himself as I am. Remember when they came to arrest him that night and Jesus said, who are you looking for? He knew why they had come. And he said, we're looking for Jesus. He said, I'm he. And they all fell backwards. I am. He is the I am the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am. Don't be, don't be afraid. Be courageous. I am. And then he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, catch this. Peter, <laughs> don't you love Peter? I really like Peter. It's amazing he could walk with both feet in his mouth all the time. But I really like Peter. And Jesus liked him a lot too because the first time he met him, he changed his name from, from, from Simon to Petra, Rock. Even before he started following, he changed his name because he saw great potential in Peter. And so P Peter said, he said, Lord, if it's really you, Command me to come to you, and I will come to you on the water. He just got through telling him who he was. Why would he have to say it the second time? Why does he have to say it to us the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the tenth time? He said, if it's really you, Lord, as if it could be anybody else walking on the water, command me to come and I will come to you on the water. That impressed Jesus. Folks, let me tell you something. Faith always impresses God. Because four times in the scripture we're told the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it's impossible to please 
God, but he who comes to God must believe he is God, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God loves faith. Without it, we can't please him. And Jesus saw that in Peter. And, and Jesus gave him a one-word command. Come. Come. I believe come is God's favorite word. I was reading in Isaiah 55 this morning how often he uses that word come. Come, let us reason together. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. Come and take my yoke upon you. Come to me. Come. He's always inviting us to come, 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 come. Sometimes we're not so eager to go, are we? And so he gives him a one-word command. And that word come is actually translated as a king's command. Now, folks, when the king says come, you don't send the message back say, Sorry, king, I'm busy. Talk to you later. If the king says, come, you don't say, king, uh, maybe we can get together tomorrow. I can't come right now. When the king says, come, you drop what you're doing and you get there as quick as you can. So he said, come. And what did Peter do? He starts to climb. Now, now when we talk about these boats, they were a little bit bigger than little flat-bottomed John boat. I mean, they, if you could get 12 people in there, you know, they were fishermen, and sometimes Jesus and all the disciples were in one of those boats, so they're a pretty good boat, pretty good-sized boat. And so Peter starts climbing over the edge of the boat. Now, what, what, what do you think the other disciples must have thought? I can hear maybe some of them. Peter, don't do this. Peter, you know how impetuous you are. Peter, you know how you always act and think later. Peter, if you stay in the boat, we may have a chance to make it through this storm. Peter, do not get out of the boat. And folks, you know sometimes the people who are closest to us can be objects of resistance that keep us from going to Jesus. And stepping out and doing those great and mighty things that we've never seen before. Sometimes those who think they know best for us. Sometimes those who truly love us can stand in the way of us really going to Jesus in ways that we've never gone to him before. But he didn't listen to him. He climbs out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. And let me tell you this. He wasn't walking on the water. He was standing on the word of God. Jesus had come. If Jesus had never come, he would have gotten himself in really a lot of trouble. He wouldn't have taken the first step. But he was standing on the word of God. And when God gives us a word, we can stand on that word as long as we're in this world. And he was going to Jesus, walking, walking. I mean, he was doing so good. And I mean, he had his eyes so fixed on Jesus. 
Isaiah 26, 3 says, The Lord keeps those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon God and his eyes were fixed upon Jesus. But then he did what most of us do. Took his eyes off of Jesus. Started looking at the circumstances. Started looking at the storm instead of looking at the Savior, the Lord of the storm. And folks, you and I both know this. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, there is only one way that we can go. And that's down. He began to sink. I like what one preacher said. He said, you know, Peter may have not walked a long way on the water, but he's the only man other than Jesus that ever did walk on the water. And when he began to sink, he knew the right person to call on. And what did he say as he was sinking? Lord, save me. Does that sound something like maybe Paul told us in Romans 10? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Saved. Now, we know that that may be talking about salvation, but I believe it's talking about any time when we need to call upon the name of the Lord, when we do it, we can be saved. That, that's, that's what that verse is saying in, in, in Psalms 118.14. It says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. So he cried out. And the Lord, he's not like what maybe some of us would do. Peter, you had your chance, but you blew it. I gave you an opportunity to really do something great here, Peter, and you decided that you looked at your circumstance more than you could trust me. So go ahead and sink. You made your bed, sleep in it. You're getting what you deserve. Aren't you glad God doesn't talk to us like that? Aren't you glad that his mercies endure forever? Great is his faithfulness. So, it said, and Jesus caught him. Maybe he was going down for the third time. He caught him. I, I, I kind of want to think that when Jesus pulled him up, put him, in, put him in his arms, and he carried him back to the boat. I don't know, maybe they walked together, but I, I kind of think that this, this is a traumatic experience for Peter. Maybe he was still shaking, cold, wet, scared. And you remember, you remember what Jesus told Peter when he began to sink? He called him. He said, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you stop believing? Do you know there are four kinds of faith? There's great faith, 
We can read about it when the soldier, remember, had a sick servant, and Jesus said he would go to his house, and the, and, the, and the soldier said, you don't even have to come to my house. You can just speak the word, and I know he'll be well. And Jesus said, I've not seen such great faith like this in all of Israel. And then there was a Syrophoenician woman who had a demon-possessed daughter, and she wouldn't give up. She kept coming and coming and coming. And Jesus said, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Great faith. And then there's little faith, like what Jesus said here to Peter. And then there's no faith. Remember when they were another experience on the Sea of Galilee? Jesus was in the boat sleeping. The storm came up. They got, they got, again, they got afraid. And they go to Jesus and they wake him up. And the audacity to what they said to Christ is amazing. They said, Lord, how can you sleep at a time like this? Don't you care? We're asking him if he cares. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. And we're asking him, don't you care? Shame on us. Shame on us. And Jesus says, why is it that you have no faith? He calmed the storm. He commanded the wind, wind to cease to be muzzled like you would put a muzzle on a dog and the waves to hush. And he says, why did you have no faith? And then there's just plain old unbelief. Remember the scripture says he could not do any great miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. And I think we can experience all four of those kind of faiths at certain times in our life. So they go back to the boat, and, and notice it said immediately when they got in the boat, the storm was over. Finished, gone. The course was over. The test was taken, and Peter failed the test. And there was no need to continue the course. And see, folks, God loves us so much that he'll even let us take the course over again if we fail. You see, he wants us to be successful. That's what 1 John is all about. He says that you might prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. He wants us to be successful. He told Joshua that in Joshua 1, that you may be successful in whatever you do. He wants us to be successful. And see, Peter had not been successful. And because of that, he would have to take the course over again. In all of my education, I've been to four universities and two seminaries. And in all of that, I only failed one class. That was Algebra two. I failed Algebra 2 because I didn't like the teacher, Miss Walker. Can you imagine somebody failing because they didn't like the teacher? Great teacher, hard but good, but I didn't like her. 
And you know, when I got my report card, there was the biggest, fattest F I had ever seen in all of my education. And you know what that school had the audacity to do? They had the audacity to make me take Algebra 2 over again. And guess who I got the second time around? Miss Walker all over again. And I had to finally realize, if I didn't pass Algebra 2 under Miss Walker, I just may spend the rest of my life in Algebra 2 in her class, and I didn't want to do that. But see, when we fail the course, fail the test, God, God doesn't get angry at us. He just wants us to learn. He wants us to pass the test. Because when we pass the test, we can go to higher spiritual education and we can become more and more and more and more like Jesus. And so the storm stopped. But one last thing. It said all the other disciples, they began to worship him. And look what it says there in verse 33. Truly, you are the son of God. It's real easy to worship him in the safety of the boat, isn't it? Why didn't they worship him in the storm? Why didn't they worship him in the hard times? Why didn't they worship him when, it, when they couldn't see any light? Why didn't they worship him when they didn't know what was going to happen in the next minute, much less the next hour or the next day? We're to worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Come, let us worship the Lord. Be ye glad. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. And so I, I look at that and I say, where was their worship when things were not so good? And I ask you tonight, when things get a little bad, storm gets a little rough, you can't see the light of day, are you still willing to worship him? Are you still willing to trust him? He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our trust. And he's worthy of our praise. Whether we're in the storm, or out of the storm. He's worthy to be worshipped. Let's pray. Father, what great lessons we can learn from this simple story. And Father, there are some of us here tonight that can testify to the storms we've been through. Some of us maybe haven't experienced the most difficult storm we will ever experience yet. Maybe some of us have already been through the storm and we've come out on the other side and we've learned from that storm. We're better because of it. We're stronger because of it, not weaker. But Lord, maybe there's some here tonight who've yet to go through that storm. And if and when they do, I pray they'll remember this passage of Scripture. That the storms are not there to blast us, that they're there to bless us. The storms are not there to destroy us, but they're there to teach us how to overcome in every circumstance of life.
how to trust you when there's no one else to trust. How to stand on your word. Your word, not other people's word, but your word. Because you said your word is life. And your word is truth. And every word of God is pure and it's a shield to those who put their trust in you. So Lord, may that word be a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Teach us how to stand and walk and live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We just want to say tonight, we love you. We bless you. We praise you for every storm that you've ever let come to our life or ever will let come to our life because we know that you're the Lord of the storm and you just want to teach us how to be more and more like Jesus. So we love you and thank you for that, Father. In the name of your Son and our wonderful Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. And uh, stay warm, stay dry, stay well, stay wise, and stay full of the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Good night. God bless you.